listening to Inside Out with Turner and Seth. Seth, I got to give a quick shout out to Steve Homer, longtime friend of mine who on Twitter uh, came up with the idea for this interview. He said, uh, you guys should interview the Grey Boys. That the, you know, He was raving about the record right from the get-go, right from the first signal. He said, this is going to be a great record. He was exactly right. So Steve Homer, his, his Fish Dicks referee on Twitter. Thank you, my friend. Also, thank you, Osiris Podcasting, Osiris Media. Um, Seth, it was yesterday three months since John Prine passed away. Uh, as we record this, and I watched episode 20 of uh, Jason Isbell and Amanda Shires uh, doing ISO Lounging. That was their tribute episode, and then I listened to the Tapes Archive. Excellent interview with a 50-year-old John Prine, a very upbeat John Prine. So check that out, the Tapes Archive, which is all like source audio for this for these interviews, for newspaper writing. It's really raw conversations, really cool stuff. The Tapes Archive. Go ahead, Seth. No, that's fine. Um, if you are new to listening to us, welcome. And if uh, you're like, what's this Osiris? Check out Osiris Pod. There's a lot of new podcasts that they're putting out there. There's the Festival Circuit, which kind of ties into this because Robert Walter. And uh, it's, they're all about New Orleans and New Orleans Jazz Fest in particular. Uh, but yeah, ch- check out uh, Osiris Pod for all what's going on there. Rob, it's been a minute and listeners, thank you for your patience. It's summertime, so we're not really doing too much interviews or anything like that right now. Uh, and we, we've kind of taken a pause, Rob and I. Uh, as we're approaching our 100th episode, we've got a really, really exciting guest. I'm not going to announce who yet, uh, but the guest is out in the wilderness right now, and so we can't quite lock in a date. So our 100th episode is in queue to be recorded, and we're really, really excited to get that one. I think our listeners are going to enjoy it. Um, is it really- but, but we're in no hurry. No, no, don't worry about us, no, because we're in no hurry. We're in no hurry, but our, this guest does, uh, how did you describe it, Rob? Uh, it ties together our podcast. Uh, eth- I don't know, you said such a good way of wording it, I forget. He is a uh, appropriate culmination uh, given the ethos of our show. Yes, that's exactly what I wanted you to say. Um, all right, well, let's just jump into what we just did with uh, the Grey Boy All-Stars and their new album. That was a really fun conversation. I hope that you all enjoyed it. Uh, it it kind of goes in a lot of different directions. And uh, we, yeah, it's just, I, I, I felt good um, learning from them. I want to say a lot of people, um, this is one band that people ask me about when, when I talk to listeners on the street, although it hasn't been happening much lately, but a lot of people say, why don't Great Boy All-Stars play more? Why don't they record more? Well, Como de All-Stars, brand new CD. You want to see more, hear more Great Boy All-Stars? Support them. Buy the new CD. As we learn in the record, vinyl is also available for pre-order now. And they have re-released West Coast Boogaloo, their raw initial record. We find out some interesting stuff about the recording of that in this conversation. Uh, Great Boy All-Stars is the two gentlemen we speak with, Elgin Park, who his, his original name is Mike Anders, uh, Michael Anders. I wanted to get around to the fact that I went to a Mike Anders baseball camp and I loved it. And I went there like three years. You're listening to Sports Radio with Rob Turner. Oh, no, you're not because Elgin doesn't like sports. So we really kind of, we kind of tiptoed around sports. <laughs> but we also talked to Robert Walter. Our listeners are familiar with him. Uh, episode 73, he was part of the three-fifths of Mike Gordon when we had him and Scott and um, John Kimmock on. Kimmock. and. Yeah, and we also had a checking in with uh, Robert in the past. But uh, Chris Stowell is the bassist from Grey Boy All-Stars. If you hear them reference him, he's also worked a lot with Carl Denson aside. Carl Denson, saxophone vocalist, Grey Boy All-Stars, also works with Tiny Universe. And this little band called? The Beatles, is it? Is it? Uh, close enough. 
<laughs> Everybody, let's get stoned. Aaron Redfield is the uh, drummer. By the way, uh, you mentioned the Rolling Stones. Um, Chris Robinson told a hilarious story about Bob Dylan sitting in with them that uh, we'll save that for another time. All right, well, uh, let's not save this interview for another time. Ladies and gentlemen, Great Boy All-Stars. of Grey Boy All-Stars. The band has just put out Como de All-Stars, their first, rec uh, first record of uh, original music in seven years and their fifth studio album. And they have re-released West Coast Boogaloo, their debut record. And we have with us Robert Walter and Elgin, Elgin Park. Hi. Welcome. <laughs> We're here. Hi. Thanks for having us. One of the many great things about this is, uh, you know, in life, often great things come out of unfortunate situations. And it is my understanding that uh, you guys had a gig canceled in Dallas. And that was essentially the genesis for the material that is on this record. Yeah, that's correct. Um, yeah, we had a gig that got, it was an outdoor thing and it was rained out. So um, we were, we were either going to just sit in a hotel room and wait for the next day or we thought we might as well use the time since we're all together and, and make some music. And to what extent did you guys have specific ideas? To what extent were they skeletal songs? And to what extent were they, did they just come together, you know, start to come together at that time and be just a product of you guys together? I mean, I, there was a few things that people had a kernel of an idea. A lot of it was just composed kind of on the spot. Uh -huh. is, that, is that correct, you think? Yeah, I mean, I think I think you had a couple ideas, right? You had yeah. like Le Imperials, I think you had, and I, thought and, I had a whole uh, demo and stuff. But but yeah, uh, and then the other, and then and uh, Complete Breakfast had a demo too, right? Yeah. I think everything else was on the spot. Chris had sort of like a, a fragment of an idea for um, for his tunes, right? Yeah, yeah, he would play them on guitar. Yeah, and then we sort of flesh them out. And then yeah, a few of those are, are right, like sort of just at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think and Comedy All-Stars was definitely, the title track was definitely just out of thin air. Yeah. Pretty sure. And those lyrics are yours, right, Eldon? Yeah, yeah, I'm, a, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm the band resident lyricist, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it's a great message to the song. And, and uh, did you know right away that, man, this is, this is gonna be the title track? 
You know, I mean, I, I think that I, the thing that's cool about writing lyrics for this band is that it's like we're not really a vocal band. And so we can kind of like when we do do a vocal tune, I think I can write from a voice that like I would not normally write from. You know, if you look back at the vocal tunes throughout the Great Boy All-Stars history, they're all kind of they're not really exactly what I would write in my own personal like solo material. So it's fun. And this is an instance like that where, you know, we kind of thought it'd be cool to write like a, like an anthem kind of a thing, you know, that would be positive that I, I kind of envisioned, you know, playing it at a gig and having people like kind of just dancing. And then all of a sudden sort of like this positive message sort of, you know, emerges from this sort of seemingly instrumental jam, you know, um, and, and I think that, you know, it's sort of, sort of inspired by, you know, classic, like, you know, inspirational anthemic music that we all sort of dig, like Simonde and, you know, some other good, good bands. So now do you uh, imagine people dancing in their living room getting this positive message? You know, however they have to do it right now is how we have to do it. I, I would prefer that than, uh, you know, the, uh, the alternative, which is, you know. Mm -hmm sometime in the future and i see sometime in the future that that it has the uh has the feel of a great encore song a great message to leave people with you that's, know what i mean that's a good idea we'll keep that in mind robert, what about robert <laughs> writes the sets robert's gonna write that down the last put that with that's our first that's our last song on our first set that we do live we'll, we'll mark that down well the skipper the skipper seems like one that's best destined for live performance yeah. does it not i mean you yeah, all get to I shine think we've already been we've already been playing we've already been playing that i think oh. a lot yeah that feels good yeah about yeah, half the tunes on the album we've been sort of sprinkling into the sets for the last year or so um you know mostly just because we wanted new stuff to play and we we're all hyped on the material but um and then a few of them ones we haven't we've never played so have any of these songs been uh have you like birth these songs perhaps uh, in other projects of yours and like, ah, oh, no, 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 I got to bring this, I got to bring this back to the, to the great boy. Not on this album. No. There's been some, some things that I, I've written for past albums where I tried them in one band, it didn't work. And it, you know, I thought this is good for great boy all-stars or, or vice versa. Sometimes it'll be yeah. a tune from the all-stars I can play in my band. All this stuff on this album is pretty specific to us. I feel like, you know, yeah, there's no sci-fi in it. Absolutely no sci-fi. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I think the one thing that we really wanted to do on this album is allow everybody to feel like no one, like we didn't want to tell anybody what to play. Like sometimes when we bring songs in, it's kind of like, okay, here's your part or here's your part or here's our part. And I thought that this record, I think Robert and I have talked about it consciously about like coming into the room and just not telling anybody what to do because mm -hmm. that was sort of, that sort of felt like something that, you know, specifically like we wanted Aaron to really be able to do what he wanted to do on this record, you know, because even though he's only been in the band for 15 years, um, there was, a, there was a thought that like, that, there's always, he's know, still the new guy, even after, you know, yeah, yeah sort of like we wanted, we wanted it to be clear to just be like, you know, we wanted everybody to feel as much a part of it, not like, you know, uh -huh. being sort of dictated what, what they, who and what they need to, how to represent themselves, you know. What, I, always, I always feel like people are more invested when, when you let them, you know, like you, use, your, use your notes on everyone's playing very, um, uh, 
judiciously. You know, like if, if you're saying a lot of stuff to people, they, they start playing a little bit like self-conscious and inside themselves. It's better just to like let everyone be them. Let their own yeah. personality come out. Yeah. Yeah, they call being the new guy in the band after 15 years, they call that the Brent Midland effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it's hard the- to shake, you know. What about post-production, though? Was that something that uh, happened before COVID and lockdown and all that jazz, or did that happen prior? You mean what? what do you mean post-production? You mean like album yeah, like, cover and all that stuff? No, like what's or the just album? like mixing and stuff. Yeah, like that. mixing and just finishing and final touches of the whole thing. I mean, you record it, laid it down, and then you know. No, you know what? It was done. It was done really? and mixed. Um, it was done and mixed. Uh, probably a year ago, wouldn't you say, Robert? Yeah, just about. I'd have to look at the fi- I'd have to look in the data of the files, but yeah, I mean, I think it was more just like I think we're constantly because we've been sort of semi-independent our whole career. I think we're always kind of like, well, every time we have a record in the can, we're all like, well, should we should we get someone to put it out and you know, sort of like, should we put it out ourselves? Do we want to? You know, I think every band goes through that now. You know, because most people are making records independently. And, and everyone reaches this point in time where they're like, well, we could just put it on, you know, all these, dis- all these streaming services and, and like do vinyl ourselves and, you know, sort of maintain ownership or kind of go into, you know, have more collective energy behind the, the, the release and like that would be better for the release. Like what's going to be the best sure. thing for the release? So I think there was a lot of discussion about that. Um, what about tour schedules? And- Is that a piece of it too, to be able to support it with a tour? I mean, yeah, I think so. But like that just went out the window, you know? So like that was, yeah, that was a consideration. But then once there was no possibility of touring and we, and I think we knew that, that like nothing was going to happen if the record didn't come out, like we were just kind of going to be, it was going to be yet another cycle within the year that, that great boy all-stars were just going to be not, not a thing. So I think we really wanted to keep the band alive and keep the, you know, just the music alive in the minds of, of, uh, of the, the fans and stuff. So we just said, let's do it. Yeah. Right, was it Robert? Hard? Yeah. I, also, I think like, you know, we, we always are like thinking like, well, we want to release the thing and tour on the album. And, but in a way our, I don't think our band has ever existed in that normal cycle of like, you release a record, you tour the record. We're kind of always touring at some, to some degree. And we put out music when we have some songs to put out. It's not like, it's not in the traditional sort of tr- like a pop group or a, you know whatever. It's the 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 band just sort of exists. So um, you know we we've never quite done the the usual like record cycle concept. Seems are, are like you guys, are ahead, you guys connecting. Are you guys connecting throughout and and like who's like beating the drum to make manage you all into that piece to be able to say okay let's get together. I know we recorded this album months ago, but like let's talk about it. I mean, because you're not, it's not your touring band. It's not your full-time project. How do you guys come together? I mean, do you make, make it a point like, all right, let's have a conference call or, or is it just organic? And it's like, Hey, you know, I'm thinking we should do something and kind of just ties all together. So it's a little bit of both. I mean, it's real tricky. Sometimes we just, everyone's off doing their own thing. So it's, it's hard to get it going. And then sometimes there's just, everybody sort of feels like doing it, you know? So, um, I think in ways it's kind of good that it's not a full-time thing for everybody. Cause when we do it, it does feel like no one's burnt, you know, 
it feels special. Yeah. It doesn't but, I'm, but I but I do think though. I mean, I do think the band sort of operates sort of in cells. Like I think you and I, Robert, we're we're kind of constantly talking and we're constantly yeah, we're, sort of. I feel like Robert and I are evolving sort of together, and then. Carl and Chris play in a band together. So they're kind of evolving kind of in their orbit. And then Aaron is sort of more sort of within our Robert and our, my orbit um, because he comes up and plays on score stuff. He plays with other people that I know. Um, and, you know, and he, you know, like Robert and Robert and Aaron and I made Robert's Robert's record just as a trio, you know, we get my bearings. So, so, you know, we're kind of like, I feel like we're sort of cycling through time together. Um, and yeah, we're you know, always Carl is. Yeah, everybody's yeah, got Robert's to. working on scores with me, you know, so we've got always, we're kind of like in the, we're kind of like constantly in the group, like way more than I think the band kind of is actually a lot more together than we represent on records, you know, pretty much, you know, I would say yeah, we're yeah. actually a lot more prolific than, than the release would, the release schedule would, would, uh, yeah, would let yeah, this, know, you know. everybody's always doing things together and then you know i'll see chris and carl at gigs all the time and i've played on carl's albums and like everybody sort of does these little you know parts of the group in different ways and then when we get together to do it it's it's its own thing i like that the thing is so specific musically you know when we get together to do that it, it does have its own sound now, uh, Carl Denson, of course, is uh, a member of the Rolling Stones now, which is a great thing in a lot of levels. But can it be frustrating too? I mean, I mean, if they if they call and have something they want him to do, he has to drop everything and do it. I mean, they're the freaking Rolling Stones. I thought you were going to ask about guest passes, Rob, but I ain't gone. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, you know, I mean, I, it's probably as frustrating as me doing movies or Robert playing with Mike Gordon. I mean, all these things are like good things, and I think when we as long as we get together and we play and and it feels good like those things are not bad things you know and i think that that time's proven that that when we play together it's all our favorite things no matter what we're doing whether it's rolling stones or or whatever so as long as that continues to be the case you know people expanding musically and having amazing experiences in their life is not a bad thing yeah. Real quick on the movie thing. When you're when you're writing for a movie, how often do you see the movie? Do you see stuff from the movie that you're writing for beforehand? And the whole much... time. The whole. Oh, time. you do. Okay, because sometimes people yeah. have to do it blind. So is that a different? Nah, no, not, not usually. Not usually. Not not in not nowadays. It's mostly. It's mo I mean, very rarely do people write film scores without seeing films. Now that's, there are they're all look staring at it on the computer all day long. So, so that, that's wait, interesting. Wait, 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 wait. All... Go ahead. I just Ron. wanted to follow up on that. How has that? <laughs> how has writing for movies changed you as a songwriter with regard to writing for your own projects? Well, writing for movies is like, is like, uh, is would be like you know being like an uh, architect, and writing songs is like being a sculptor. You know, like it's a totally, completely different mm. thing. I mean, you know, it's like a way. There, there, it's a, I'm a, I'm completely uh, uh, at the at the service of the movie. And when I write songs, I'm just at service of the band, myself, whatever I want to do. You know, it's a totally different experience. It's just music, but it's not. It's completely different. True, but what I'm asking is, are there things about the mechanics of running for movies that have changed 
the way you view writing for yourself? Is there any kind of overlap or cross influence of this approach to something? I mean, writing? I think so. I think, you know, things that I learned devices, like when Robert and I worked together, because we worked together a lot of my movies, you know, we discover things and then we bring them into our music, you know, but, but, but that said, you know, the Grey Boy All-Stars is very much a specific thing that like is sort of like the rules are set in place, not rules necessarily, but just like the paradigm is there. And so when we, when we get together, it's like, it's like, this is what we're doing. It's like, you know, you wouldn't like bring your heavy metal guitar to like a blues gig or, or you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't bring your synthesizer to a folk show or whatever, you know? So it's like, you just, you know, one could say you guys are stuck in the glue of Boogaloo. Yeah. We're, we're, uh, it's not stuck. We're there. We're, 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 we're comfortably residing in the chair of Boogaloo. Uh, well, we, we all like that. Um, before we get off the movie topic, one last question I wanted to get in there on that is often like I hear a song. I mean, it could be from your album, could be from any album. You know, like I hear a song and I'm like, wow, mm -hmm. I could see that in the movie. You know, I could see that in the scene. Like that's, that's a perfect song for that love scene that the door crashes and goes in the mm -hmm. car, you know, but you're saying that that's not the case. Often it's, you're actually creating music for the scene. It's not so just pulling in music for the scene. I mean, sometimes, I mean, sometimes you pull in something that's like for inspiration or, or you think something might work, but ultimately like something, it just has to be made most of the time, you know? And so yeah. it's not, it's not, I mean, it's not, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, every case is different. There's no rule, really, honestly. Just like songwriting. I mean, if there's overlap, the overlap is that the, you're just trying to make something that feels inspired and feels like honest and and feels like good within the context of what you're working in. You know, like the movie has to feel good there. The band has to feel good on the dance floor, has to feel good. When I look around the room at the guys in the band, I want it to feel good. I want them to feel good. You know, I think that's right. Right, Robert? You yeah. So? yeah, I do think that there's like, um, there is an influence on the Grey Boy All-Stars of like older score music, kind of before you were even working in this where oh yeah, it was part of the bag of influences where mainly it was like prestige and blue note jazz guys playing funk tunes. You know, that was like the big one. And then James Brown, the meters and all that. But then adjacent to that was like scores by Lala Schifrin and Jerry Goldsmith that had like funk on them, but yeah. they were, they were written as score music in the sixties and seventies. And that's always been sort of part of our aesthetic. I love that cinematic style funk stuff or like David Axelrod, which wasn't made for films, but has that vibe, you know, like orchestral funk, <laughs> right? right. Or whatever. So that's, you like, know. Yeah, and that, yeah. And that's a Chris in that Chris and Robert, you know, it's sort of like the record, like we're record. I'm not, I'm not specifically a record collector, but these guys are more like crate diggers. Right. So, oh, yeah. so they're digging in the film scene and the film stuff is awesome because, you know, within films, you have a little bit more kind of freedom to, to sort of covertly put in really awesome music where probably it wouldn't survive like on a record label or, you know, on a, you know, like the Jerry Goldsmith records are super funky, but also like harmonically experimental, you know, and, and like, you know, that, that wouldn't, that stuff probably, he wouldn't be able to do that just on a straight jazz record in the sixties. I don't yeah. think, you know, Robert. Yeah. 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 Like sort of because it's serving this other thing, you're allowed to sneak in like atonalism and weird influence of 
modernist music and stuff. You know, yeah. got you can get pretty out. And then it still also was responding to sort of pop music at the time, Jimi Hendrix and James Brown and these things. So that it it has all that cool stuff in it. So even though yeah. you, you know that's that's always been part of the thing. And really, it's Chris Stilwell with record collection. He he's always like finding the strangest funky tracks that w you wouldn't expect. You know, often from yeah. sources like that, library music, soundtrack music. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think on our records, like if the, the part of the records that isn't like blues based, it's stretching out into other arenas, like, like, on, you know, Inland Emperor, like on Inland Emperor, you know, we'll go into like cyclical, some cyclical, you know, space jams or whatever. Like when we go there, those are all probably more influenced by score music, I guess. So yeah, maybe it, there, there is, it does creep in when we're not in like sort of like straight funk blues mode, you know? Right. Well, the new record has Catalina and uh, Born Into Space on it. Those definitely have a little Latin feel on it. Um, yeah. Is there any specific source for that? Yeah, did, is there any specific source for that or did it just, just you guys all love Latin music and let's give it a go? I feel like in a way it's the same sort of thing. It's sort of coming, it's not coming from us like, like playing Latin music in any literal way. It's it's sort of in the '60s when people were fusing all those styles, and bossa nova got popular, and it it became an influence upon jazz records at the time and score music at the time, and all that. It's kind of coming out of that that place for me, at least. Yeah, and I, and I don't yeah, and I don't think anybody has like oh we're playing this Latin rhythm called blah blah blah. You know, everybody these are sort of like our emotional memories of what Latin music is or. You know, for Chris, like Born Into Space is kind of a bossa, but not really. Um, yeah. And then it it's goes sort of like, like psych Brazilian or something, you know? Yeah, you know, it's kind of coming from that sort of like weird crossover when like rock music went, went to Brazil and it's like kind of Tropicalia, but also like soul and like garage. You know, it's all these like, we're in the era of people just like slamming things together because everyone's oh, yeah. on YouTube, you know, and on file tram downloading obscure records and being like, oh, this is awesome. You know, this is this is a cool combination of like synth, you know, experimentalism in like, you know, primal like African rhythms or, you know, it's just like the shit is just blown wide open.
I was certain that uh, that you guys just had lunch and had Caribbean, had the whole you know Latin food, and that's that was the vibe. You came. It was back a weird and, thing. Yeah. I, I, I don't think there was any discussion about like the Caribbeanness of the the new the new batch of tunes, and for some reason, multiple people were feeling that at that time. You know, some of it's also from like Samande, which is more like you know it's african and west indian it's it's whatever that that sort of thing but there for some reason when we brought these tunes in everything sort of had that feeling you know yeah i think it's just we wanted it to feel good and be feel like a party i think that was the vibe yeah you know we wanted it to feel like something that was up and positive um and I think that was the overwhelming feeling and this just those that's just what came out of the two days of writing anyone that's listening put it on repeat because it you it's one of those albums that you can kind of hear over and over again and kind of especially now if you're if you're sitting in your computer doing work it's just it, it keeps you going cleaning awesome. i got i i'm not a big cleaning guy i put it on i got cleaning done Awesome. It inspired me. It got me fired up. It was awesome. But wait a minute. Well, El Elgin mentioned a minute ago emotional memories. Speaking of which, Seth, oh, could yeah. you give it? Could you give us a, a wayback machine, Seth? I haven't done one of those in such a long time. Let me see. I know. It's got it. sort of a bust out at this point. <laughs> Take us back to Grey Boy All Stars back in the '90s, uh, assembling the material and recording your first record, West Coast Blue. What are your memories? What sticks out initially, guys? Um, I remember that we, um, we had been playing gigs. So basically, we, we went in and played sort of part of what our live set would be. And I remember driving to Los Angeles from San Diego and recording the album and driving back that same day. So the whole thing was made in a day and, <laughs> and wow. the travel. And it's beyond that, it's hard for me to remember much about it because it went down so quickly, you know? Yeah, I mean, I remember like basically not even getting a headphone mix. It happened so fast. Right. I was like, kind of like, I was like, kind of like, hey, can I get more? And then by the, by the time like it even was addressed, the record was done. I was just kind of like, all right, okay, I guess we're yeah. done. I mean, I had never recorded that quickly in my life. Like even when I was in high school recording like demos, you know? for like tunes that I had written. I would do like a couple tunes a day or something. But this thing we just blasted through, you know. I mean, I was I'd be surprised like if you did more than, like more than a couple like, takes of any tune. You know? Yeah, yeah, you know. And then Fred so Webster was there, which was, yeah. which was made me um, excited and nervous. I was like, whoa, <laughs> we're here with Fred Wesley. Yeah. And we're like, one, two, three, go. There you go. And there's the album. Yeah. Is that where the relationship began? Because he ended up playing with you guys a bunch. Carl Denson had played with him in Fred's band. So Carl had played saxophone with Fred on Fred's, you know, solo projects. So he knew Fred. I'd never met him before then. And then we hit it off. He, he had a good time. He's like, um, he was like, well, whenever I play on other people's stuff, I like my playing better, <laughs> which I have that experience too. When, when you're, when you're doing your own That's thing. Pressure. There's always pressure and you're like, is this the greatest thing when you're playing with someone else? You can sort of relax. But anyway, he, he was um, great. And and then, yeah, he start, he did some gigs with us after that. And then over the years, all of us, I've worked with him in various various ways. He he was one of the first guys from that generation that I worked with. And I felt like I learned a lot just from being around 
someone who had, you know, been present for the music I really was um, trying to play. Yeah, I mean, the thing I think that really kind of opened my eyes with him, because I, when we would go on tour, like I would do most of the driving just because I hate being a passenger in the van, you know, and Fred would always sit up shotgun, you know, so we'd be like in the van. And, oh, wow. And, That's and, awesome. And he and he was working and he was working on his memoirs. The side, I guess it's called ended up being called the Sideman, basically. Oh, it's called Hit Me, um, Hit Me Fred, uh, Confessions oh, of a Sideman, something like that. Confessions of a Sideman, yeah. And so he was kind of working on that book and he was just such... I mean, he is, but just at that moment, you know, I was, I mean, my, the world that I was in sort of like just a couple of years before that was just like, you know, I was in sort of like a band that, you know, had a record deal and we're on Virgin and I was like in a tour bus and it was like roadies and it was like this whole thing. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. And basically quit, came to San Diego, started in this band as just like a guitar player, you know, and then within like a couple of years, on the road with this guy who seemingly was just a, like a guy that was in James Brown's band that I, I knew James Brown's music, but, it, but it was, but the thing that was so inspiring was like, this guy's made a, an entire life out of music. He's entirely happy. He's satisfied and he's been able to like survive because, you know, I think the one thing that I, that I didn't understand is like a musician is like, Oh, well, in order to survive as a musician, like you have to be famous. You have to, everyone has to know who you are. Everyone has to like, you have to be like the celebrity, you know? And the thing that I learned from Fred was like, not really, you just have to like play good music and, and just be a good person and just like have a good time. You can have a good time and kind of like be under the radar, like almost your entire life, you know? And that was just like a light bulb that went off in my head. Like, oh shit. The thing that I want to do is play music. The, all the other stuff is like a fucking nightmare, you know? So let's like, this is a band where I can do that. And that, that kind of caused me, gave me sort of like, it made me invest like so much more in the band emotionally. Because before that, it was just kind of like, oh, this band's going to last like a couple of years. Like I had no idea when we started the band, like the West Coast Boogaloo record, I was like, okay, yeah, like I don't, I can't even hear myself in the headphones like this. I don't even know what I'm doing like this, what, it, you know, and then all of a sudden, like we were in Europe touring with Fred was there. It was awesome. We were having a great time eating good food. And I was like, whoa, wait a second. This is like, this is a lifestyle. This isn't, this isn't like, <laughs> that's the, it. It's this, a isn't, lifestyle. this isn't, this isn't an advertisement. This is music. This is real. And I was like, this is what I need to be doing, you know? And so yeah. that, that was, that was big. And that was big. And Fred was a big part of, of, of illuminating that, that 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 purity of of playing music that that really inspired me in my life yep. i was fortunate to get to see you guys a few times in the 90s and one of those times was at the boulder theater and i gotta tell you it was electrifying show and it was uh, the one time in my mind i can remember the spirit of bill graham being represented because at one point we were asked to hand our drinks to the side and they close all the bars and turn it into a private party so you guys can play for another hour. And that, that's, that, that's indicative of uh, people who just want to play. And I love that. I mean, was yeah, that the spirit that. of the band back then? Yeah, I mean, it's still the spirit of the band. We never, we're never like, oh God, you know, what, how many more songs in the set? You know, it's never <laughs> like that, you know? It's never, it, I mean, I'm always surprised when it's over, you know? And, it, and it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, a good, it's a good thing. 
are you in touch with DJ Gray Boy? What's what's his situation? Would you ever work with him again? Does he? Are you still in contact with him? Does he? Does he approve of you using his name? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we all we all have done things. You know, uh, you've worked with him pretty recently, uh, Mike. Yeah, I worked on a I worked on a movie for Netflix called Always Be My Maybe. It was just me and him. So yeah, so I've I worked with him. I talked to him yesterday. You know, I talk to him all the time. And I, so call, it, I call him on the phone. We talk about records and gear and all that kind of stuff still. So, yeah. so, so is there a chance? Could there be in the future a, a Grey Boy All-Stars record or product or tour or something where he's involved? Yeah, yeah I, I mean, just, I mean, just last year, he, we played some gigs with, with him. Um, you know, he was never, we didn't, you know, he's, he's sort of, I don't know. I, I try and explain the relationship and I, I can never find the right words. It's almost like he's like our, um, in a way, like spiritually connected to the band more than like an actual like practical thing of, of working. It's the, his taste in music, his aesthetic has always been part of our, our world, whether we're working with him in a literally or not. Sometimes we, sometimes his advice does come into it. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I think maybe like if you looked at it like he wrote the constitution for the band. Right. You know, and the manifesto. we're, and we're, and we're yep. still following it, you know, and, and it's like, that's the thing. I think when we first started, you know, I remember the day that we walked, I remember that, you know, he, my friend, I was at a coffee shop and one of my friends who went to high school with him, he's like, hey, you should meet this guy, Gray Boy. He's doing some cool stuff. You know, you just moved back into town. Check this guy out. He's a cool guy. He's funny, you know. He's, he's, you know, he's a DJ. And I was like, all right, well, what, I don't know. I guess, yeah, I'll check it out. I was just open to anything. Went over to his house and, and Chris, and, and, Chris and, and Zach were over there and they were, working on, um, they were working on music. And this other guy was playing guitar. And so I was like, yeah, whatever. They've got like a great guitar player, this guy, Mark Antoine. I was like, I don't know, whatever. I mean, I'll, I'll do anything. I'll play bass, I, you know, I'll play perc percussion. I'll, I don't really, you know, I don't know what I'm going to be in this band, but I'm just going to go hang out. And then, um, but he was playing like all these great records, all these great soul jazz records that, that, that I had sort of never heard before. And it was like, you know, I'd heard the meters and I'd heard James Brown and I had heard, you know, some of them, but he was playing some stuff that I had never heard. And I was just like, this is, this is incredible. I love this music. But I was like, but I could never play this music. Like, I'm like this dude from like the beach, you know, like, I don't know how I'm going to do this, you know? And then there was a guy like on the other side of the room that was just like shredding jazz, you know, just, just <laughs> shredding, you know? And I was like, all right, well, his job is to play jazz. I, I you know, I'm not going to be a part of this, you know, basically they got a guy, you know? And so we, and so, you know, that though I was like, okay, cool. That was cool. Like, and then, and then I just kind of left, but then sort of as the few the week went by there was like oh well we're gonna have a rehearsal you know because gray boy's gonna have a record release party for this record that he's working on which is the record that they were working on um and so i got in the rehearsal and it was robert chris zach carl mark antoine and me on second guitar um and uh i don't know why i'm telling this story but it's a good story anyway no so, bring it bring it so, so, you know, so we started this rehearsal and I swear to God, from the first second we started playing, I was just like, whoa, this band is a freaking powerhouse. Like yeah. we were in this teeny rehearsal in San Diego and it was just like, 
I don't know what's going on here, but this drummer is insane. The bass player is freaking, I never played with anybody that had a pocket like that. It was like, and he was playing this crappy bass. Like the thing was, I don't even know what it was. It was like, was it like a fretless? It was like a fretless, like cheapo yep. fretless bass. I think he like sanded the frets off of it. That was a, home, I think a homemade fretless bass, yeah. From our, it wasn't, from our, from our, like, our a, like prog fusion band that we had before. Yeah. And he didn't, but the thing is, he, he, it didn't sound like a fretless bass because he wasn't like jockoing out on the thing. He was just playing like solid, perfectly intonated, you know. And and it and, and Carl I'd known uh, I knew Carl from Lenny Kravitz's band because my old band had toured with Lenny Kravitz's band so I knew Carl but he was just like whoa this guy's an insane sax player I'll I'll never play with that guy and so then it was just like yeah it was just kind of insane and then we started playing and and yeah and Grayboy was the guy Grayboy was at rehearsal and he's like no that's not funky that no that's you know too much too much playing to break it down less player so he used to yell at us while we were playing even at the gigs oh we play the yeah. green circle bar and he would dj in between sets and he this is all about the west coast boogaloo time period yeah and he would stand on the side of the dj booth and like yell at people when they play too many notes or play too complicated <laughs> like no yeah. slow down you know Wait, and so, yeah. good he'd be psyched and yell at you and it, and it got us going he's like you know sort of good music lesson yeah. you know yeah, he's, I mean, not, he he's not a player like, he's, he's just he knows what works and so mike did did he yell and say you got to change your name no 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 no. i changed my name before i left actually i, I was living in san francisco and and my my name my my name as a child my brothers and sisters gave me the name elgin um so i my my nickname had been elgin for my entire life but as i was leaving san francisco and leaving my old band, I, I saw that the street name Elgin Park on the, on, on the way out of San Francisco as I was driving down Valencia. And I was like, that's a cool, that's a cool name. I'm either going to name my band that, but I couldn't get the band together. Although I did, we did, Robert and I had a band called Elgin Park 2, which has one record. That's some obscure, just more confusion. And then, um, <laughs> but then I was like, well, if I can't have the band, then I'll just have the name. And so then I did that. And it was sort of a, and, and it, it was sort of part and parcel to the fact that like, I was like, well, this band's not going to last anyway. So I'm just, I am Elgin Park this week in this band called Grey Boy All-Stars, <laughs> you know, cause who knows what next week is going to hold. And then, you know, cause I remember, Robert, remember we were playing Green Circle and, and the band was, we'd done a few rehearsals and, and Grey Boy came in with Carl and said the, the band name is Grey Boy All-Stars. Yep. Like, I was like, what? The band name is what? First of all, it sounds like a sports team, and I hate sports. So, I saw that guy, so fuck that. And Grey, why is Grey Boy's name on this band? Like, what? You well, know? now it makes sense because we're all going gray at this age. So, you know, that's... Yeah, exactly. right, you know, and no sports. But it was, but, you know, but the idea was is that it was, it was Grey Boy's label. So it was called Grey Boy Records. And, and we were the all-stars of the label. And we were going to make all these records, you know, and we did. We made Robert Spirit of 70. Carl had his solo record. And we made the two ones and we and that was our independent label that we did and then it's just kind of like you know yeah the, i think the original concept that it was going to be like blue note or prestige where um you know when i started getting into those records you get a grand green record and then you look you go 
who played organ? Ronnie Foster. And then you go get the Ronnie Foster record. And then you're like, who played drums? Idris Muhammad. And he played with Luke Donaldson. And, and it was like sort of a stable of musicians. It wasn't yeah. a band in a band. And I think, I think Grey Boy's idea was that it was going to be kind of like that. And we would all be, we'd like the house band and different people would be leaders. And we'd also back up people that weren't involved in it. Yeah. Like Gary Bartz played on my album and, and Fred Wesley was on the record and Andy Bay was on Carl's record. And the idea was to, to, you know, have people from the older generation involved and there was going to be all these records and it, it just didn't last long enough to, to fully get there. But the, I think that's the Grey Boy All-Stars was like the all-stars of the label, you know? Yeah. Right? I mean, I think once we started, yeah, I think once we started touring, we were touring so much. I mean, I go back and I look at, I look at the calendar because I kept a calendar and it was literally like, we toured like 300 days a year when yeah. we started. And, <laughs> it was insane. And, and, and it was like, and that's why we, and that's kind of why we burned out, honestly. And so by the time we reached like, it was like 97, I think, or after we did Zero Effect, which was the first movie that, that we did that was sort of like, whoa, I, movies are awesome. I want to do movies. Um, so, yeah, so that was, that that i think all that touring kind of detracted distracted us from label and gray was like not on tour with us so our our relationship sort of got severed that that really tight relationship which i believe is probably tighter now than it was when we split yep. um yeah we kind of created our own little culture be, being on tour together all the time and, right and we were listening yeah. to records together. Oh, you know, there's something about the band that's good that we've always sort of retained the basic ethics of what we wanted to do, which is like, keep keep it simple, keep it, it should be danceable, but we're also improvising. Like, we're good at not bringing in every possible influence so that it becomes a kind of confused, you know, thing. it had a mission statement, but we did become sort of a crew just from being around each other all the time that became, we became our own thing, you know, that wasn't so connected to Gray's concept, but. Yeah, but still, I mean, there's still appreciation. I think the, the thing that he sort of instilled in us that I feel like is maybe sort of more, that's sort of unique to our thing is that like, I think there's an economy to what we do like musically, like we're not trying to, it's not like a shred fest, you know what I mean? And, and even though probably all of us have the ability to do that, I think there's like the thing that's first and foremost when we come together to make a record is the, the composition and which is maybe the through line of like working on movies or being a songwriter or whatever, but it's like, let's write really good songs. And those songs are not to exhibit our like shreddiness. They're, they're, they're to, to be evocative and emotive, you know, and, 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 and to, put out a vibe and and so like it's like a uh it's like a, what reuben wilson said to me one time he said you don't want to be excited you don't want to play excited you want to make music that gets people excited so it's like right. it's different it's like a different thing you know you you got to chill our inspiration our records that we love they're like relaxed they're chill they're e economic you know you see like those videos at green that just popped up on youtube in the last year and he's barely moving, but he's not like shredding. He's like he's like exhibiting his how soulful and how and how deep his pocket is. You know that that's what he's yeah. doing. 
And I think and that's what we're it's trying actually, to do. That's the sort of ethic that we're... Yeah, you, from, from all of that, the thinking that way, it's, it's almost frowned upon in our band, I feel like, to like really pig out on your solo. And, <laughs> but, you know, it's like people make fun of you. And, and I think that's good and appropriate because it usually doesn't serve the music, you know? It's like, it shouldn't be about that, you know? See, I love when hot players and all that stuff and a great solo, but it should be about serving the music and, and communicating something beyond like, how awesome am I today? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Although Robert, when you're playing with Mike Gordon, you do have an audience that wants that more, that wants you guys to expound. Is it an adjustment to, to um, in that ethos? Like the band, the, those fans are like, they, they want the embellishment. They want you to go on and on and on and on. You know, I think, I think um, you know, Mike thinks the same thing and I always try and steer it in that direction to play. I mean, with Mike Gordon, we actually always talk about like, try and play less and try and let the, not play less, like, you want the things to be long in that in that genre. You, yeah. you, what he's doing, it's like based upon long improvisations. But usually, when you hit the thing back, everyone's playing too much. That that's something we always are talking about. Like everybody, chill, play a little less, leave space, listen to each other. It's that's constantly in that music. Like they're, we're always talking about that. So the same yeah, thing. I think it, it's just slightly different stylistically, but that's that applies to all music. I think is it to choose what you're saying, say, say something, you know, you don't have to say a million things, say one thing the right way and you're going to communicate more, you know? Goes with English <laughs> too. No. Yeah, it's like, it's a communicator, you're just communicating, right? So, yeah, I mean- it, Try and be clear and lucid about what you're saying, you know, and that's always compelling. Rob's been telling yeah, me that and we're not always for months. You know, we're not always successful at that. I mean, I listen back to some of our live stuff and it's like, it's so exciting. And I'm just like, oh my God, I wish I would just stop playing, stop playing, you know, just, just stop everybody just stop. You know, there was one time while we're listening to the, I was listening to that, that jam radio station on, on, I just kind of happened to turn it on. Um, I told right. And it was like, yeah, it was like, it was like, you know, serious radio. I was listening to that. And, and, uh, and I, and I was like, God, who is this? This is terrible. And it You're was like, who's this terrible band? <laughs> it was you. Oh no! It was like a slice of us. It was from. It was like Toys R Us from the live album. I was like, oh my god, stop playing for God's sake! <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, so funny. But you know, I mean, look, you also have to be in the moment, and if the moment is exciting, then that trumps everything, right? And, uh. and that, and that, that's you just got to be forgiving. It's also just for us to, you know, when you're improvising, like it's not always going to be great. And you just have to like, I mean, I love the thing that I love about the band is I just like, I'm pretty much just ghostwriting when I, I like, I'm just like in the moment, just like, I'm going to make some mistakes. I'm going to play some terrible stuff. And every once in a while, I'm going to play something awesome. And I just try to be forgiving, you know, of myself when I'm playing in the group, you know? Yeah, that's the thing about improvising is, is if you go into it with a big agenda, that's when you get, that's when you have problems. You have to be in the moment and responding to exactly what's happening at the time. You can't come at it like, oh, this is going to be the greatest version of this, <laughs> this tune. You know? It's either you either earn it naturally and organically or you don't. And you have to be willing to, to go with all of that. That's what's great about it. It's like when it's great, it's actually real. It's not some 
thing we're putting on for you. That's something that actually happened and you right. saw. It. And when and it's not good, that's that's just part of that too, you know. Well, the godfather of our show has always said, Colonel Bruce, he's always said it's all about intention and the space between the notes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, and having just, I think the thing that's been a constant thing for this band is just to have low expectations or no expectations if possible. Like this Isn't doesn't that an have expectation to be, itself though. <laughs> not really, because like you just wow, man. Really because <laughs> that's hey, rough. Bro, that is rough. <laughs> hold on, I'm gonna catch that in a box. <laughs> um, you know. No, but I, I think I, I, I think that like that's the been that has been sort of the ongoing thing with this band, like whether it's a record release or a show or a song or a, a solo. It's like we this band has been very unambitious, you know, <laughs> and so I think that it's been constantly a surprising source of positivity for all of us and continue to be and that's why we look forward to playing together and making music together and releasing records and it can just go on and on and i think all of us feel that it will you know as listeners we want you to do that so please do absolutely is there any yeah. chance of the band uh i know carl's away doing something but is there any chance during all this quarantine of us getting some kind of great boy performance in the coming months before you know, can you all get in the same room and social distance perform for us somewhere? Or are you guys too scattered about? We're, we're a little bit far from each other, but we're, we've been talking about that. We just haven't figured out exactly the right way to do it yet. But that's definitely been discussed. So, you know, yeah, look out. I mean, we, uh, we, <laughs> could, here, we could we could potentially do it here at my studio, but but we just, you know, it's like. We just we just want to be safe, you know. I mean, yeah. we all have loved ones that might be slightly vulnerable if we were to eat any of us were to get sick, and I, and I think we're just trying to be really safe and also be a good example for people, you know, and just be like, mm -hmm. hey, we all want to play, we all want to hang, we want to interact, but but what more we want to yeah. do more than anything is get through this pandemic and get out of it so that we can really hang and really. Interact, yeah, that's a know. that's a fine line. I think that's a really really good point that you said there, though, is to, to be the example. And there's a lot of young musicians that want to go out there and do stuff, but they they have so many people that they influence that they they have to be careful because they're the ones that can well you know let's they're the ones that can put the masks on us. I mean, I think there's a classic thing that everybody thinks that they're exempt, and everybody thinks that their situation is the special one, and you know, it's like everybody thinks that they're the one person that can text and drive safely. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Everyone's like, never do that, and then they get, and then they do it. You know, it's just like, it's so yeah. it's just important to like think about the big picture of this, and and if the worst things we got to do is is chill for a second, it's not, it's going to be okay, you know. But um, yeah, it's just going to make it that much sweeter when we're all like sweaty and running into banging into each other at a show, you know, yeah. like that. That's going to be awesome. It feels so good, but. It's completely irresponsible right now. I mean, I remember, you know, our last show actually was a Bay Area run. We, know, we, we, we were already talking about it then. Yeah, at the end of February, you know, we, uh, you know, and we were, and we were in a van and Carl was coughing up a storm, you know, after just doing a Seattle run. And I had an N95 mask on and I was like, dude, this is not okay, you know? And we were play we played in Tahoe, it was super packed. 
and and people were you know we were going on stage and people were like hey man give me a hug and like this and that i was just like ah you know (laughs) we're done this is done we're done until this is over you know and and that was the last gig i played before before this all happened went home and then locked down yeah and that was supposed to be go ahead go ahead well i'm just saying bands have been doing these driving gigs and it seems like a good idea in theory but Reports I've been getting from people, either in person or online, that, that people get wasted and forget that there's a pandemic. Yeah, and once get, you, once you yeah. get once you get get people partying and stuff, it's hard to make well, everybody. It's not even party. partying. It's like it's just no different in the dating world. It's like okay, let's have a social distance date, have some wine, and at the end of the date, it's like oh well, well, I'm gonna kiss you. Well, why do you have the social distance the whole time? <laughs> yeah. Right. Or or we're all healthy, so it doesn't matter. Like, look, I don't have it. You don't have it. But it's like the the thing is, is like. And, 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 you know, now I just read today, it's like, you know, there's a giant uptick in cases and, and it's all about people between 20 and 40. Yeah. And, and it's like, and those people are pretty much asymptomatic and they're, and they're just out there in the world spreading this thing. And it's fine until that one case, you know, kills your loved one. Mm-hmm. And then it's not okay. You right. know, it's like more people have died in this thing than World War One. Like, let's really think about what's going on here. Yeah, it's, it's okay to take that pause. I, I let, the, there's so much beauty that's coming out of a pause. It's, it's, you know, like, I mean, Robert, you and I were talking in the beginning here. Uh, and, and for me, I'm embracing, I'm going running, I'm going out, I bought kayaks. I'm like going out, enjoying nature and, and most importantly, enjoying time with my son. And my son's yeah. seven. I'm like, this is like, such a, a an awesome opportunity to really like have this bonding moment with my son there's no way i would have spent as much time with him had it not been for that so you know there's the, we got to embrace what the what really comes out of taking a pause yeah you can it's sort of like it's great when people when you, if you can find a way to like keep yourself uh feeling positive and and you know use this time to do something you know that you feel good about you know it's it's hard everyone's got sort of different capacity for <laughs> for being all alone for this amount of time and all that but um yeah i'm trying to like practice and write music and stuff while i'm while i'm stuck here so. well if anybody's even the most the only, it's probably the only time in your life that you're gonna be at home this duration of a time um you know i mean what music your whole life would be just go 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 i mean the second you get off jam cruise you're booked for the next one i mean you know what i'm saying like it's, just I, it's been nice to not be preparing for an upcoming gig like I'm always usually stressing about, I like, learn a bunch of music for, oh, I got this thing next week. So, you know, it's, it's been, that's been kind of fun actually to be able to like work on stuff outside of a particular, you know, goal. Mm-hmm. Well, if, if any great boy all-stars, even the most casual fan is sitting at home looking for ways to be positive, Como de All-Stars, wonderful new record of original material pick it up uh, and west coast boogaloo raw early great boy all-stars re-release are you these uh either of these available on vinyl or will they be um west coast boogaloo yes. will, will be both of them will be um the comedy all-stars is available for pre-order vinyl now um um off our website is the way to go probably also you can wherever wherever you find music but um so Comedy All-Stars is, um, you can pre-order it. The vinyl won't be in till early in the fall or September, October. I don't remember, but so. It's a um, pressing issue. It's just, it just, it's a pressing issue. Um, it takes a second um, just to make them. And since we decided to rush this out, 
the vinyl takes some some it's in production now but um and then west coast boogaloo was actually planned um before that so that will be available early august yeah that's got a you nice you can buy it right there that has a great has an awesome um packet new package hold on let me see i can let me see if i can show you guys no one will see this, so it's safe. <laughs> and it's, um, it's been remastered. And, um, you know, that album, there's something about that when you drop the needle on the first track of that, it gives me chills still. It's like, that was the, the first thing we did. It's got a, got a vibe. Ooh, look at that. <laughs> Old school band. That's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the light in the attic. Did you see you guys get to see that? That's the can light you, in the attic. Can you hold it up while you're talking so you're on the big screen? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's okay. the light. That's the light in the attic reissue right there. Yeah. Cool. cool. And then they're also putting out the vinyl of the new record. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's kind of cool, and you know, like that's going to be a that's going to be that's going to be sweet. You know, I mean, again, we don't have enormous expectations, but I think you know, just to service people that dig the band is going to be is going to feel really good. Yeah, I'm. I'm trying to make. I'm, we're trying to like eventually release all of the back catalog on vinyl. A couple of those records have never been on vinyl. Um, uh, Town Called Earth was CD only, and what happened to Television was CD only. Um, yeah, just during that time period. So um, those hopefully will be next on the on the agenda. Yeah, and then maybe we'll do like I've really wanted to do like a whole box set of all the all the records. With like, you know, we've got like video from the early days that we're trying to like digitize and. and oh, yeah. And there's a bunch of live stuff in the can too. We just got to go through it and figure out what to put out. Yeah. All you need is time. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'm going to end on a slightly off topic question. So first, Seth, do you have anything more? Uh, yeah, Robert, I'll show you my uh, vinyl player here and you can tell me what needle I need. Yeah, it's also um, my vinyl. It's also my yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a super tech tech about that stuff, but yeah, I might, I might have advice. <laughs> All right, go ahead, Robert. I mean, Robert. So, so I, when I was young, was a real big Neville Brothers fan, and I found the meters through the Nevilles. So I always, at a young age, um, and even as I got older, mainly knew the meters for the big songs. One of the many, many things I'm grateful about from having been discovered Robert Walter and being a fan of his playing and music for, for so many years, is that he, uh, you introduced me to the instrumentals, the deep tracks, all this amazing meter stuff that was not as well known. And, and um, I just would love to, for you, since we've lost Art now, Art Neville, I'd love for you to talk about Art Neville and about the meters and about their influence on you. And, 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 and of course, El Elgin, you as well, if you'd like. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we're all big fans of that music. Um, that was, my my dad had a when I was growing up he had rejuvenation but he also had this compilation of early tracks it was like the best of the meters or something and it had a parking meter on the cover it was it wasn't an official release by them it was like someone had compiled all those Josie singles and um and there was something so mysterious about the sound and how I loved how talk about economy you know no overdubs really really simple great tones you know, and it's one of the first things that made me fall in love with Hammond organ because of that, just the sound of it. So that kind of blew my lid and that subliminally, like, so I had heard that music way before and when Grave Wall Stars formed and we started talking about this sort of genre of instrumental funk music and 
which had so much in common with that, you know. Booker T and the MGs too, you know, but the meters were like Booker T and the MGs with like the funk turned up, <laughs> you know, more <laughs> syncopated, more New Orleans influence too. So that's a big thing. And then, you know, I got to meet Art a little bit over the years and stuff. He's always been, I mean, he's, he's like one of those guys where I'm not starstruck by many people, but if he was around, he'd just be like, oh. Oh my God! Wow, they come out. <laughs> you know. Did Did you ever get feedback on your playing from Art? No, he was he was always very nice, but I was I never like asked him what he thought of me or anything. You know. No, I but, just thought he might have offered it up or something. But no, but he um, I actually used to go. He used to, you know, for a second my we um, he would be in church. My my kid went to a, a school in New Orleans. Um, and we'd go to the church sometimes, and Art would sit in the pews a couple, couple pews back, and it was always a, a big deal. But, but I've definitely, um, I've definitely, uh, you know, taken things from his playing. Um, Executive Party on the new album actually has a real Art Neville thing that I'm, I'm trying to do on the organ. <laughs> with the meters was really like, you know, I, I when I was going to school at, I went to school at Berkeley at Cal Berkeley. And, and there was, uh, there was a place in San Francisco in the lower head called Nikki's barbecue pit. That was like a, that was like a place where people would go to dance down in the lower hate when the, when the, when the, the projects were in the lower hate before they moved them to, you know, all wherever they, you know, gentrified the lower hate down in San Francisco. And they're used to just, you go in there and it was just, I remember here really hearing the meters for, for the first time in there. And it was like, it, it was just kind of like, what is this music? And then sort of years later, I was recording a record and this guy that was recording the records, the engineer was, was, from, was from New Orleans. And he showed me, he put that Luca Pai Pai on and I was just like, this is like, you know, sort of like Holy Grail, you know, like this music is hitting me in a way that, that I, that, that like nothing else has. It's kind of like, I could never, you know, I could never, I can never play like this. This is just like, this is, this music just, this isn't something you learn. This is, this is music that just like comes out of you. This is pure music, you know? And, uh, and, 
and it just and and then to sort of be in a band that was sort of playing that style of music was something that I never thought was going to happen so then like going back to that moment of that first rehearsal with Grey Boy All-Stars I was just like whoa we're kind of doing this thing you know (laughs) and like all this stuff you know because as a child I was like into rockabilly music and blues music and and I never thought that it would translate in a way that would be applicable into like the funk. It just never occurred to me until this band. Um, and sort of in the context of it, I it, it was just that music that was sort of like otherworldly to me suddenly was within within reach, you know. And and it was really again a light bulb moment, you know, for for my for my playing in my life, you know. That's also a thing you you just said. It's important, like. It is so connected to blues, actually. And that's, if you learn funk music off of funk records only, and you don't have any of this background in the larger, where it fits into like American music, it's, you're gonna miss some of this stuff. The meters are a good example of that. Uh, on this last jam cruise, uh, George Porter did a sort of a clinic where he was just talking about them developing that funk thing and like where it came from. And they were just playing blues tunes and they'd start to get a little bored and go like, well, where could I fit this stuff in and start to add 16th note syncopations to it and just start to ornate or ornament this existing music. But it all has roots in that stuff. All those guys can play a great blues shuffle and all, everybody can play slow blues and really move you with it. And everyone understands where that fits into it. And it's just a way of like modernizing the rhythms a little bit. Well, I think you guys it's just named your a whole uh, title. Thing. It, all, it builds upon the, Everything builds upon everything, you know. I think you guys t- titled your new album. Your next album's going to be Booga Blues. <laughs> Booga Blues. Well, maybe we're going to have to rename. No, we're not going to. We're not going to talk about the it. other. We're not going to talk about the other. Yeah. We're going to talk about the other Booga Fools. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, please do check out the new album. Thank you guys so much for uh, giving us your time here this afternoon. It was a pleasure catching yeah, up thanks. with you as well. I love this chat. Thank you so much, both of you. Thanks and thank much. you for thank you for all the music and everything. And, and I hope more of Great Boy in the future. Keep 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 it up as much as you can. Please. Right on. Thanks for having us. It was fun to yeah. talk. Thank you. Bye. Right on. Thank you.